Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for today and this opportunity to come together and worship as a family through music, through giving, and yes, even through the teaching. Lord, Your Son taught us that we do not receive because we do not ask. So, in this moment, I ask that You would send Your Holy Spirit to this place and into each person here, Lord. Lord, come. Amen. Our friend Ray Fox moved away in the month of May. He was a Bible study teacher here for years, and one of the things that he regularly prayed was thanking God for words. He would say something like, Thank you, God, for words. I love them, and they are what you used to tell me about Jesus. And it was usually a very simple prayer like that. That matters because today I'm talking about the book of Proverbs and what it has to say about words. Pastor Bryce graciously offered me the opportunity to preach today and gave me a few topics that relate to his series, and so I have selected uh, the subject of the importance, the use of words. In a sermon series on the book of Proverbs, I am challenged by chapter 10, verse 19, which says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So we'll see if I can live up to that today. In Matthew 12, Jesus also talked about words. He said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. But before we get into that, let's go back to where Pastor Bryce started this series. He began in chapter 1 of Proverbs, ending in verse 7. 1-7 reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is a recognition of the consequences that come with our sin. We don't want those. That's not good. Those will hurt. Not looking forward to that. That's the beginning of knowledge. And that fools don't want that. Those who don't want anything to do with turning away from sin, those are those described as fools here. Let me tell you about, uh, there's a Russian citizen about 200 years ago. His name was Kondraty Ryalev. He had been sentenced to be hanged for his part in an unsuccessful uprising against the Tsar, Nicholas I at the time. But the rope broke, and Ryalev, Ryalev, excuse me, bruised and battered, fell to the ground, got up and said, In Russia, they do not know how to do anything properly, not even how to make a rope. An accident of this sort usually resulted in a pardon. So a messenger was sent to the Tsar to know his pleasure. Nicholas asked, what did he say? Sire, he said that in Russia, they do not even know how to make a rope properly. (laughs) Well, said the Tsar, let the contrary be proved. Our words matter. Our words will have effects on us and others. Pastor Bryce quoted to us a statement from Mark Twain, which I'd like to remind us all of. 
The difference between the almost right word and the right word is really a large matter. It's the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. Proverbs 13 says this, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Uh, I think we've all in this room spoken, so I think we're all in trouble, according to Proverbs 13.3. We we might just come to ruin then. We've wide, opened wide our lips. We've all said something foolish. Now, maybe I'm the most foolish person in this room, but I know that everyone in here has said something that they've regretted, something they shouldn't have, something that hurt somebody else, at least once. Maybe you're perfect the rest of the time. I don't know everybody here very well. But I know about myself, I've made those mistakes a lot. So as I stand here, I don't stand as one judging, condemning you as someone who's done it right, but as someone who's made every single mistake in the book of Proverbs. I've screwed up on all of them. So let's learn some from someone better. Words are powerful. Words can do all kinds of things. Words can create and strengthen relationships. They can build someone up. They can encourage a struggler to press on. They celebrate victory. They bring clarity to the confused. They bless the brokenhearted. And they set people free. But they can also enslave human beings, crush the weak, wring out the poor, pull the rug out from the struggler, tear someone down, ensure defeat, and destroy bonds between people. What we do with our words is as important as what we do with our actions. Today I hope to demonstrate to you the powerful reality of words and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the book of Proverbs' teachings on words. With this framework in place, we will be encouraged to press onward in our struggle to be conformed to the image of Jesus. First, we must understand that the Lord is the source of wisdom. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding gives wisdom. So what? What does that matter? It matters because... Well, let's look in chapter 1, verse 32. Proverbs says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. So these, are, these folks are contrasted with those who are wise. Those who are fools turn away from wisdom. They turn away from God. They don't want it. When wisdom calls, they don't pick up. They let it ring. This is why wisdom matters. Wisdom will lead to life, and foolishness will lead to death. Words are the, the means, or the, they are the purveyor of wisdom. They carry wisdom to each of us. Proverbs 6, verse 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So this right here, the commandment, so these are, this is the wisdom from God in book form. It's a lamp. This will light our way. This gives us the ability to see what we're doing, where we're going. And the reproofs of discipline, it says, are the way of life. 
uh, it's really uncomfortable to think about the reproofs of discipline. Um, when you ask somebody what their life verse is, they never tell you about uh, the verses that talk about disciplining them. No, that's not. Those aren't comfortable verses, aren't they? Those aren't the the ones I like to hear every day. But the reproofs of discipline are the ways of life. If I stray to the left, I, I'll be killed for this. If I stray to the right, I'll die for that. But if I stay on the path because of the lamp that guards our way, we will find life. When you read through the Proverbs, you see also that words are connected with the heart. That where one is, there is the other. That they are one and the same, really. Proverbs 2 verse 10 says, For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. 10 verse 8 says this, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. And then in Proverbs 8, verse 36, it gives us a negative example. But he who fails to find me, and this is the personification of wisdom talking, so, but he who fails to find wisdom injures himself. All who hate me love death. So there's the connection there. All who hate me, again, this is wisdom personified speaking, love death. They go together. There's heart stuff going on at the same time as the words, connected to the words. They're part of the same system. So if we, if we receive the words of life, if we receive uh, the commandments of the Lord, the wisdom of the Lord, we, we love wisdom. It is demonstrated that we love wisdom. But when we turn away from that, when we close it and we, we don't want to read it or we don't want to hear it from Pastor Bryce or whoever's in the pulpit that Sunday, we... We hate it. We turn away from it. It demonstrates how we feel in our hearts. Proverbs 24, verses 1 and 2 say, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Sorry, my notes just closed. There we are. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. Hebrew poetry has that feature called parallelism in which two lines are often set in relationship to each other where you have two sides of the same coin. One thing is said twice. One thing is said in two different ways. It's a lot like how we have four Gospels. So we have four perspectives on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in an analogous way, um, we see... In this verse, for the hearts devise violence, part one. Part two is, and their lips talk of trouble. So together, this verse in parallel makes hearts and, and words the same. It unites them. Everyone knows from the Gospels that statement of Jesus, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Even if it's a lie, Right? Because if your heart wants to deceive, your lips will speak a lie. So out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. They, they go together, hand and glove. And then in Proverbs twenty six twenty eight, we read, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. A lying tongue hates its victims. That doesn't mean my tongue can't hate. I can't, you can't 
have surgery and take this thing out of my mouth. Some of you may want to by now. You might be really bored. But um, you can't take it out of my mouth, and then that thing by itself hates somebody. Of course, this is an image for the whole person. The, the person who, who lies hates, its, hates his, hates her victims. So they go together. The words in our hearts are one and the same. We can't separate them. We can't pretend like they are two different things. We also see that words can be actions, or at least that some actions are words. Proverbs 15, verse 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Everyone here, at least by the time you were a teenager, so maybe my daughter Nicole is accepted, but um, has had a word said to you that's crushed your spirit, that's hurt you, that's broken you down, it's hurt your feelings. And likewise, hopefully, you've heard something that built you up, that encouraged you, that made you aspire to something more than you were in that moment. Words have action, power. In Proverbs 6, 1 through 3, the scriptures say, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you, have snared, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. So words have the power to ensnare you or to free you. Words actually do things. They're not mere wind. In Proverbs 18, verse 21, the Scriptures tell us that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So those who, those who are speaking will eat its fruits, whether those, that's the fruit of life or the fruit of death, whether you are uh, speaking uh, the words of, of truth, words that show love for that individual into somebody's heart, or throw this out and say something else, you will eat that fruit. So you will deal with the consequences of what those words do. So what you affect in somebody else with your words will come back. Are they the, the words of the gospel? James 3 has a powerful and famous passage on the tongue. It reads... If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You may have read or heard about the Erskine Fire in Kern County. Kern County is my home county. I'm from Bakersfield. Um, it's been that fire has been burning for about a week and a half now. It's still going. It's largely contained, but it is still burning. It's burned over 46,000 acres, which is uh, over 71 square miles of land. It has destroyed 285 homes and damaged at least a dozen more. As well, they have confirmed that at least two people have died in that fire as a direct result of that fire, in that fire. The origin hasn't been officially determined yet, but uh, the theory that they're looking most closely at right now is that someone blew up, of all things, a porta potty at an archery range in the Lake Isabella area. What if we lived like our tongues could do that? What if somebody did? What if, what if one person lived their life like what he said could change the world? How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. But now that we've discussed the powerful reality of words, I want to talk to you about Jesus. When Jesus came, he was addressing a group in, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, and they wanted to know about signs. Signs are, man, those are, those are cool. I want to see some signs so I can know that you're the kind of guy we want to be our Messiah. Or at least this time, they had so many that century. So he gave them the sign of Jonah, talking about that. And then in 12, verse 42, Jesus said, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. That's good stuff, right? We're reading and studying about that right now. The wisdom of Solomon and Proverbs and uh, probably Ecclesiastes. But Jesus went on to say, And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. That person was Jesus. In Proverbs 18.21, I'll remind you that the Scriptures tell us death and life are in the power of the tongue. Jesus came to make that clear, to share that message. He gave a message of life with His words. Now, if you... I will try to wrap up as quickly as I can here. I have four uh, characteristics of Jesus I think we see in the Proverbs. That if Proverbs is... A portrait of Jesus. If this is the perfect person lives like this, we see this in Jesus. So if you can kind of categorize that, um, and I've done so with the help of some books that I've read, I'll give you four. And I'm going to focus on the elements of those four that connect with what we're talking about, the power of words. First is Jesus the hard worker. There's a lot that could be said about working hard in the book of Proverbs especially. But what's most relevant to what we're talking about this morning is uh, a verse such as Proverbs 20, verse 15. There is gold and a multitude of jewels, but knowledgeable lips are a rare treasure. 
or in Proverbs 2, verses 4 and 5, talking about wisdom. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So if you don't search for wisdom, you're not going to have it. You're not going to get it. It doesn't magically arrive in your lap. Um, uh, younger folks, it doesn't just show up like maybe your clean laundry on, your, on the foot of your bed. It doesn't just magically apparate. Your mom or your dad did that. <laughs> Similarly, you, you can't just receive wisdom. It doesn't just show up on your doorstep. Proverbs 14.23 says, There is profit in all hard work, but, and here we find the limitation of words, but endless, which can also be translated as mere, but endless talk or mere talk leads only to poverty. So while words are powerful, they're not the only thing. They're not the only thing we can do or should do. Paul gives us a, a picture of how he valued Christ. He saw Christ as the, as the source of wisdom, as, as wisdom incarnate, and so he, he lived his life accordingly. In uh, Philippians, a different chapter, chapter 3 this time, Paul wrote, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul did his own hard work. They modeled these for us, that we, if we are to be like Jesus, we must seek after wisdom. It won't just arrive on our doorstep. FedEx isn't going to show up. No Amazon drone is going to drop it off. We have to seek it. In Jesus' own words, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's how important wisdom is. And remember, the wise and the foolish in the book of Proverbs are contrasted on in life and death terms. It's not living wisely, eh, it's a little better than not living wisely. No. Wisdom leads to life, and foolishness leads to death. Foolishness is when we say, I have no need of a Savior. Foolishness is when we say, I have no problems. Sin is irrelevant to me. I'm fine. I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. Uh, you know, I, I allow people their right of way when it's their right of way. That's foolishness. Wisdom is realizing your need, realizing that in our sin we we will suffer eternal death for the words that we've said. We've said the words of, of death, saying we don't need God, I don't need salvation, I don't need redemption, I don't need forgiveness. Jesus was a hard worker, and we saw that in the Scriptures. But his hard work shamed and confused the people around him when he showed up those 2,000 years ago. The second picture is that Jesus is the faithful son. The book of Proverbs is uh, filled with a lot of uh, framed sections where it seems like a father is writing to his son. Not that it doesn't apply as 
equally to uh, the, the women, young ladies, and girls who read the Scriptures, of course, but this is, this is the form that it took. In Proverbs 2, we see the passage, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Jesus did exactly that. Jesus is the one who demonstrated his faithfulness as the Son. So he's called to do this, and he did it. We've been called to do this, and we didn't. We didn't do it. I didn't. But Jesus did. His faithfulness looks nothing like our faithlessness. As a result, the Sanhedrin thought, there must be something wrong with him. He's got to go. The third element I would point out is Jesus as the true friend. Proverbs 27, verse 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That's what Jesus was like to his friends. That's what we see in the Gospels. That's what he's been like to me and to many others in this room. Proverbs 12, verse 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. I don't know about most of you in this room, but... I have that sometimes. When the seminary sold its campus, along with it goes my jobs. I worked three jobs for them until recently. And um, with it goes our home. Uh, the, the new owners are raising the rents, and we can't do that. So my work is gone, and now our home in August is going to go to somebody else. So sometimes, not all the time, praise God, but sometimes I feel anxiety about that. It weighs me down that I don't know where my kids are going to sleep in August. I don't know where I'm going to work, if I'm going to work. So sometimes that weighs me down, but then on Sundays I get to come here and be with you and hear from Pastor Bryce. I have friends like we talked about Ray Fox at the beginning of this message. I have friends like him and others who do the second part of this verse. Proverbs 12.25 again says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Jesus did that for his friends. His friends, they had their own anxieties. Not the same as my anxieties, but their own. Still the same sensation. That gnawing in the, in the chest right there where you don't know what's going to happen. They had their own anxieties. Proverbs 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a, in a setting of silver. Last year, was it last year, Rachel? I think it was last year. I like to give gag gifts to my wife on anniversaries and Christmas because I think it's funny um, to pretend that this is the gift when it's really just a joke or it's garbage. Uh, So a year or two ago, I gave her a gift of jewelry, a pendant that looks like a giant slice of drippy pepperoni pizza with matching earrings, and she totally hates it. She thinks it's ugly and and kitschy and awful, and I totally understand. 
That was a gag gift. It's not a good gift. It's a gift that makes me laugh, but it's not good for much else. But a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a beautiful piece of jewelry around your neck or on your finger. That's a word fitly spoken. Jesus' words made his friends glad, but everyone else couldn't understand, and they grew angry. The fourth element I would share to you, share to you from this book is that Jesus is wisdom incarnate. Proverbs 18.4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. We see that in Jesus. That he, he nourished people with the, the life-giving words he shared in sermon after sermon, in conversation after conversation. Paul clarifies some of how they are one and the same, Christ and wisdom, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, part of verse 24 and verse 30, he says that Christ was the power of God and the wisdom of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul also wrote about this same topic when he said that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's because of this Jesus, this picture I've been trying to paint with, of all things, words, that in John chapter 7, verse 46, the officers, the uh, immoral law enforcement officers of the Sanhedrin court said, no one ever spoke like this man. Listen to those words. That reminds me of John chapter 1 which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Dropping down to verse 14, it continues, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Words are powerful. The power of the tongue is that of death and life. We saw that in Proverbs 18, 21. And John 1, of course, recalls Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, verse 3, God said, Light. In verse 6, God said sky and sea. In verse 9, God said sea and land. In verse 11, God said plants. In verse 14, God said day and night. In verse 20, God said fish and birds. In 24, God said land creatures. In 26, God said, let us make man in our image. And he did. The power of the tongue has the power of death and life. There's some more powerful words that were spoken in the life of Jesus. I'm almost done, I promise. My words are almost run out. <laughs> in Matthew 27, we see some contrasting words. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself! If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. 
He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. But then in verse 46, we have some words from Jesus. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why aren't you talking to me now, God? You turned your back. Where are you? Jesus wanted some more words from his father. But he wasn't getting them because he was paying our price. He paid the price for everything we've done, whether those are actions or words. Jesus paid the price for our words. He paid the price for every foolish word I have ever uttered that hurt the feelings of my family or my friends or, or um, misconstrued even the gospel. He's, he died for those words. In John 19, there's a single word that's recorded as Jesus' last utterance. In Greek, it's tetelestai. It's one word. In English, we translate it, it is finished. Jesus did the work of saving us from our words. In the power of the tongue is death and life, but Jesus is greater. Jesus has the power over death and life. Jesus is the true word. Jesus is the word who saves us from all of our sin. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Today I'm going to invite you right now to come down here and talk to Pastor Stephen, Pastor Chris, maybe myself, somebody else. What words are in you that need to come out to our Lord? Do you need to say something to God? Do you need to tell Him that you, you, you want to chase Him like Paul did? Count everything as loss to gain Him? Do you want to tell somebody, in, maybe even in this room, words like, I love you, or I'm sorry for what I said, or I'm sorry for what I did? Do you want to tell somebody out there those same things? What words are you going to share even if you don't come forward right now? As we become conformed into the image of Christ, our words will change. Praise God. I'm so glad for that. You see, when Jesus is described in the Scriptures, so are His people. Because we become conformed into the image of Christ. When we are gone, when we shuffle off this mortal coil, we will be made perfect. We will look like Him. Which means our our words will bring life. As we press forward that direction, as as we struggle together to conform to the image of Christ. I challenge you to talk to somebody. Talk to Pastor Stephen, somebody. To make a change today to become more like Christ today than you were yesterday. Thank you. Please stand.
And let's have our eyes open so we can see Jesus. Open our eyes, Lord.